You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, we're back on Money Talk and closing out the month of June and the first half of the year. We welcome to the show for the first time ever, Charu Chanana, market strategist at Saxo Markets. Good morning. Good morning. Very nice to be here. Great to have you on. We're also joined by Money Talk regular Andrew Freres, the CEO of Econosis Advisory. Good morning. Hey, good to hear from you. Um, let's kick off, Charo. It's your first time in the show, so we'll uh, we'll let you lead today. Um, I, you know, I read the book Chip War uh, earlier this year. Watching what's happening with uh, my, uh, chips with with uh, great intent lately, um, we've had the new news about the chip manufacturing equipment yesterday. More export bans on chips themselves earlier in the week predicted for July. Um, what is your take on how this is going to impact the market? I mean, you know, of course, coming from a point where we have seen this massive run higher in uh, chip stocks in NVIDIA particularly, but also a lot of other AI-related names uh, since the launch of this uh, generative AI technology. Um, and of course, uh, I think there were already some reasons to be a little bit cautious of the kind of rally that we had seen there, you know. Uh, the valuations were getting stretched and harder to justify, sort of taking us into a bubble as well. Uh, but certainly, this week's developments have um, brought the geopolitical risks also back on the radar for you know those investors who are kind of looking to be a part of this um, you know AI game. Uh, I think the intent here really is pretty clear from the U.S. government that they want to limit China's ability to catch up to uh, the U.S. and the Western powers on AI technology and, you know, be able to restrict their use of advanced um, AI chips in military applications as well. Um, and I think uh, the thing that I noted with the announcement this week really was the time frame. I think that is kind of sen- sending me a sense of urgency there. Uh, so, you know, I think it's uh, the timeline was said like um, early July. So that's like next week, perhaps, right, that we could get some real uh, decision on that. Uh, so certainly, I think there's a, there's a reason to be cautious about um, uh, the rally and the cautious about the risk. It's not just the regulatory risk, the valuation risk, but also the geopolitical risk now that investors have to uh, be aware of. I mean, no wonder we still have a lot of potential around AI developments, and there's also a lot of opportunities in that market. Mm-hmm. But it certainly is becoming more evident that the, the fragmentation game between U.S. and China will also have an impact on Chip yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, so that we've had we've had bans on on uh, you know, for, we had the first category of chip, and then they say, okay, now we're coming after the Nvidia GPU chips that are driving the artificial intelligence, uh, the artificial intelligence revolution, if you want to call it, or whatever wave that we're having right now. Then they're going after the equipment. They went after the extreme ultraviolet. Now they're going after the the, the deep ultraviolet second tier. Where does it end? It seems like. You know, it seems like the people coming up with these restrictions uh, are working very hard at expanding them as, as quickly as they can. Where does it stop? I mean, absolutely. And it's also sending a very clear message, right, um, to U.S. companies particularly because 
earlier on when they actually just banned uh, the A100 chips for Nvidia, um, Nvidia found a way around it and kind of came up with this A800 chips, uh, which were you know designed to really diffuse the impact of those earlier the first round of export controls. Uh, so this is a very clear message to you know companies to not play that game of you know cat in the mouse. So you know not to not try to circumvent uh, these export curbs. Um, and I think uh, the overall message is that um, whatever might help Chinese um, authorities to make progress with their AI development would be curbed. Hey, Andrew, are, how concerned are you about the, the chip wars and the friction they're going to introduce into the general marketplace? Because chips are in everything now. Uh, I mean, right now they're banning the high-end stuff, but as they introduce more friction are you worried about the impact on on the broader economy because chips are in cars they're in washing machines they're in our phones they're everywhere well hang on a minute the chip war is against china it's not against uh, france importing uh, american chips or italy importing american chips we have to put this in a complete perspective <clears throat> and the reason why chips are not exported to china is primarily has to do with defense so this has to do with the defense sector all right now not exporting chips to china uh, reduces a very significant market for a number of chip makers, which it's not necessarily will be able to substitute okay, with some, something else. But it's not the same thing as saying that the demand for chips is coming down because uh, fewer chips are being used in motor cars. They will not be used in China. So we have to really differentiate that by taking chip maker by chip maker and finding out what percent of their exports of the chips that they are banned uh, are destined for China. And that will give you some idea of the potential impact on their, on, their, on their revenues. Otherwise, taking it simply, this is a big chip war and we are all going to die, okay, is, uh, is, uh, is a, little bit of, uh, a little bit of an exaggeration. Do you, are you worried that if these are the high margin chips that these companies will have less to be able to put back into things like research and development on next generation equipment making or next generation chips? Uh, no, uh, <laughs> for, a, for a very simple reason. Not selling to China does not mean that they do not develop chips that they, cannot, they can be sold to everybody else in the full understanding that the more advanced and the more sophisticated the chips, the greater the likelihood that they are going to be, their export to China is going to be banned. That's a choice they will have to make. Mm. Chero, so simple as that. Okay, okay. Chero, Chero, are you seeing an impact on, on in, in particular, on some of the stocks that are, are getting uplift because of the, uh, the the AI story that's going around now? Do you think that'll peter out in the next little while? I mean, like uh, you know, Andrew said as well. Obviously, depends on uh, the kind of exposure that those stocks have on um, you know uh, to, to China. Uh, so something like Nvidia, where 20 to 25 percent of their data center revenue comes from China, will obviously have an impact, and that's obviously at the, uh, you know, it, it's at the core of um, AI chip making as well. So that uh, was obviously the restrictions was uh, clearly intended to impact Nvidia, and I do see an impact there. But I think other chip makers as well who have significant amount of um, revenues coming out of China will certainly see a little bit of a larger impact compared to some of the other more domestic-focused players. Okay. Uh, looking at the broader economy, I know the, the tech stocks make up a lot of the S&P 500, but, you know, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other uh, stocks on there, too. It's up, what, almost 15% so far this year. Uh, I mean, what's your, you know, Andrew, maybe you can give me your outlook for the next few months of the U.S. market, especially 
you know, given that we're getting new economic data that suggests that the Fed might be uh, up for raising interest rates? Well, first, the, the old nonsense that markets price in things uh, should be gently put to rest because Powell has said they're going to increase interest rates twice more. I have absolutely no reason to doubt they mean it unless there is something spectacular recovered in the American economy. So really, strictly speaking, this would have been already factored into the market and the markets keep falling. So in other words, they don't. Okay, so the outlook for the American equities, sorry, for the U.S. equity markets is continues to be negative because interest rates will continue to increase and the markets simply don't factor this in. Because if they have factored this in, potentially you could have seen that the markets are increasing. Okay, the second point is looking. I'm very keen observer on companies that they are not interest rate sensitive, either in terms of expectation or in terms of actually paying this out. And I'm afraid I'm really like a stuck record here. Defense, 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 okay, defense companies right across the world. Their major clients are governments, and governments are famous for not paying particular uh, attention to the interest rates they are paying, and the interest rates they are also increasing. Defense spending across the world is rising to a tsunami level, completely ignored by the markets. That's why, however, Let's say politically incorrect, this may sound. I'm still sticking to the fact that all the major and relatively minor defense companies have been outperforming uh, the have been performing S&P since effectively the outbreak with the war in Ukraine. I know this is about people dying and uh, cities being destroyed, but the reality of the situation, there is a group of companies that are potentially capable of having a very, very good time, and they are having a good time, irrespective of what's happening in interest rates. What, why do you think they're being ignored by the markets? Are they, do they not pay dividends, or is it you know, not fashionable? Well, first, of course, like, like everything else, you know, I commit the major mistake of by saying buy defense, defense, defense. The question is, is which defense companies um, restricted in actually um, uh, 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 taking positions and make, making points? Uh, as far as the Hong Kong markets are concerned. So I have to be very careful what I'm saying here. But uh, a lot of companies are doing exceptionally well. Okay, And there are specific reasons for that. Some companies are doing okay. All right? But all of them are outperforming the S&P for nearly a year and a half now. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. <laughs> are, they, are they getting lower valuations because a lot of funds won't touch them? Are, they, are, there, are, there, again, are there multiples or they, they should be? I was going to tell you. Yeah. That's the other part. Of course, if you say, good morning, I'm a defense company, your ESG okay, disappears down the drain hole. In other words, a lot of, uh, a lot of investors, a lot of uh, institutional investors will not touch. But my current understanding of what's happening with ESG is progressively this has been eliminated. Remember, ESG has more or less begun to get less attention. A, because it reached a point that the incongruity between the differences in the rankings of ESG companies between different rankers became so absurdly big that at the end, ESG meant whatever you meant it to be and nothing else. And also the huge scandals with the fake green, uh, green spending. Sorry, I'm not diverting. All I'm telling you, 
yes, the less the ESG are reputable, the easier it is for defense companies. Hmm. All right. Don't we don't mind a little diversion here, Charu? Um, one of the things that uh, beyond defense, I know one of the things you've got your eye on uh, in particular today is the U.S. PCE data that's going to be coming out. Uh, what's your take on that, and how do you think that's going to impact thinking in, in by policymakers? And certainly, I think over the last week, um, you know, um, or at least last two weeks since that Fed meeting, uh, we've seen, you know, Powell kind of reiterating that message on two additional rate hikes at the testimonies at the, you know, conference uh, this week as well. Um, but the market so far did not believe it. Um, but if you now combine what he's been saying to the kind of data we've been getting here last night, we got an issue of jobless claims that course. Uh, lower than expected and lower than the print that we've seen in the last few months as well. Uh, sorry, last few weeks as well. And uh, then you combine that with the uh, the revision that we saw in the Q1 GDP. That's massive. I mean, you know, two percent and consumer spending looking really, really robust out there. Uh, the market has now started to kind of accept that message on additional rate hikes. Uh, so, yeah, PCE data today, that will be a big test um, where we go from here in terms of the market's acceptance of um, the Fed rate uh, hike path that was hinted uh, in the dot plot of the last meeting. Uh, so I think the, the risk is really if we get a firmer inflation trend, you know, that will perhaps prompt the market to rethink the Frederick Hyde Park and, you know, give more weight to Powell's comments as well. Um, uh, certainly, I mean, inflation is on a downtrend, but if you look at the consensus numbers, at least for the core side, consensus is still looking for a pretty firm uh, PCE print today, um, you know, for me compared to April. So uh, if, if we are just a little bit above that as well, I think that will be enough to kind of send some jitters uh, to the markets uh, in terms of pricing in more rate hikes and, um, you know, to the equity markets as a result of probably another run higher in uh, U.S. yields as well as the U.S. dollar as well. Gotcha. We got about a minute left uh, before we got to close out for the, the first half of the year for this, this segment. Andrew, uh, what are you going to be looking for? Glo- give us a global look. doesn't have to be the U.S., but what data are you looking at in particular? Uh, yeah, I'm, the... I'll tell you what I'm looking. I'm looking passionately. It is the long COVID impact mm. on the labor force and on expectations. Again, the millennials, the millennials that are trading, and practically, I don't want to say everybody else because all this is common. You know, COVID infections haven't finished. Okay, not at all. And the long COVID simply is a whole collection of symptoms that it is affecting now literally hundreds of millions of people. It is not being measured. It doesn't kill them. It makes them feel very grumpy, very ill, very upset. Okay. And it is continuously continuing now to affect productivity. And this is being completely missed out. Unfortunately, it is a medical topic. I've got a doctor before my name, but this is in economics and not in medicine. So I have to struggle and be very careful. But I'm getting very concerned about the impact of long COVID on economies in general and China in particular because China has got a huge number of already infected people and low COVID affects people that have had the COVID. It is a collateral image damage and China is really the first one in the queue. Hundreds of millions of infected people. Could be a major, major drag on labor and productivity. Thank you very much for that uh, unique insight to finish finish this segment of the show from Andrew Ferris, CEO of Econosis Advisory. Thank you also, first time on the show, to Chara Chanana, market strategist at Saxo Markets.